my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair, it's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. When I did this, people thought I was crazy. I mean, I went to every label, and every label was saying no to me. They were like, Scooter, you're great at marketing, but like, it's a YouTube kid. And I'm like, you guys are not understanding. There's a sleeping giant over here. You're not paying attention. I had one of the most impressive executives in music history tell me, where's the sex appeal? He's a young kid. I don't get it. There's no sex appeal. And then I said, well, you need to look at YouTube. And this person who's running a major, major label group, they said, well, can you get us a DVD? And I said, just all I got to do is type it in and look at the YouTube numbers. And they said, well, he doesn't use the internet. I discovered Justin Bieber on YouTube. I'm Bob Pittman, and welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. I've had a lot of jobs over the years. I co-founded MTV. I started businesses. I'm also the chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia, America's number one audio company. And that's part of my story. I also started out in a little town in Mississippi, son of a minister. Got my first real job at a radio station when I was 15. It's where my roots are, music, voices, hearing people's stories. And one of the things I've always loved is trying to decode how big ideas find their way into the world. Each episode, I chat with someone I truly admire 
to hear all about the data and the creativity, the math and magic that goes into the world's greatest marketing. We've had the analytical mathematicians and the wildly creative magicians on the podcast. Today we have someone who defies all the labels. As I was thinking about it today, I really was at a loss really to describe Scooter Braun. Born in the dawn of the 80s, grew up in Connecticut, serious high school basketball star. I'm looking at him and he's smiling. I guess that's right. Emory University dropout, went on to slay the music business, became a very astute and successful investor, family guy. And you've made it a point to use your brains and influence to make the world a better place too. So names he's associated with, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Kanye, Carly Kloss, Dory Kelly, Black Eyed Peas, Uber, Spotify, Casper, Pinterest. Whew. Welcome, Scooter. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate being here. We're going to do you in 60 seconds. Quick questions, lightning round style. Don't think too long. Say the first thing that comes to your mind. That's and where you get in trouble. Exactly. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Ready? Do you prefer Atlanta or L.A.? Now L.A. because I have my kids in L.A. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Chess or checkers? Chess. Superman or Batman? Superman. One time or baby? Both have a special place in my heart. I'll go with baby. Giants or Jets? I hate the Giants. I'm a diehard Jets fan. Easy. Here we go. It's about to get harder. Favorite song? Walking in Memphis. Smartest person you know? Probably David Geffen. <laughs> Childhood hero? My dad. Historical idol? Historical idol. That one's tough. A lot of people I've admired from history. I was obsessed with Abraham Lincoln as a kid. We'll take him. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? To control the weather. Quote to live by. Be kind for everyone walks a hard journey. Worst fad or fashion trend in music? Face tattoos. I just don't get it. And I got friends who have them. <laughs> and what are you most proud of? My family. Okay. Let's start with your name. How'd you get Scooter? My real name is Scott. I went to a birthday party probably when I was in second or third grade, and there was like a clown magician. And he said, uh, what's your name? And I said, Scott. And he goes, oh, Scooter. And I said, that is not my name. And my brother saw the aggravation that I had with this name Scooter, and that is all he needed to see for him to want to haunt me with the name throughout the rest of my life because that's what little brothers do. My sophomore year of high school, I think it was, I came out of the gym you know, dribbling the basketball as the point guard. And my brother had a bunch of my friends like holding signs, like ride the scooter to victory and scooter this, scooter that. And then when I went to college my first year, my buddy bet me a hundred bucks. And when he came to visit me later on in the school year and my freshman year of college that I couldn't convince everyone my name was Scooter. And I just took the bet. So I went in there and they'd say, okay, freshman orientation, Scott Braun. I'd be like, oh no, it's actually a mistake. My name's Scooter. And and then I started my business pretty much right away freshman year, and Scooter became a marketing tool. Scott, something you forget. Scooter, you don't forget. I'm a Gemini, so I'm the sign of the twin. So there's Scott and there's Scooter. My wife calls me Scott. I'm Scott at home, and Scooter is somebody who's outside the house. I've seen you with your parents, and you have this incredible relationship with your parents, very obvious, sort of oozes that love and support. How was your childhood? I'm very lucky. I had two incredibly supportive, loving parents. But my dad was really, really tough on me. Tough in which way? My dad understood how to work each one of his kids. If you actually look at the five of us, we're all successful in our own way. And it's really remarkable 
how well they've done with us. And, and I hope that I can raise my kids to the same level that my parents did. Not only that we all successful, but we're all very close and we're all extremely loving. But my dad realized with me that I was probably the toughest one to raise. I was the most rebellious. And his way of getting the most out of me, one, staying on my ass, but also disrespecting me a lot to make me do the right thing because he knew that I would run in the direction of disrespect. So I remember playing basketball and him insulting me to the point of tears, but I'd go out and play like an animal to prove him wrong. For me, it worked, but he was also the coach at every game and, you know, in the stands for every game. And when I started acting out in seventh grade and beyond, he never gave up on me and he was tough as hell. And when I was 18, I was like, I'm going to go to Atlanta and get far away from these people. And, you know, I love them, but I'm going to be my own man. And then you kind of go in the cycle. You realize you're trying to prove something to someone who already loved you. And now I say that out of any man in the world, if you ask me who I admire the most, it's him. So let me ask you a question. Will you use this technique with your kids? If they're like me. My brother didn't need it, Adam. My sister didn't need it. And he wasn't tough on them? He was tough on them, but not to the level of the way he was with me. I could have gone really in the wrong direction with how rebellious I was. When a young man is being that rebellious, he's looking for boundaries. He wants to know somebody gives a damn. And my dad set boundaries, and he fought me like hell, and he showed me he gave a damn. So how about as a manager? Do you wind up using this technique on anybody? No, I haven't seen anybody completely like me. There were times with Justin where he'd get competitive, and I'd push him in that direction a little bit. I have perfected my dad's methods because I've molded in my mom's methods. And my mom was idealistic. She was comforting. She was tough, but she was always beyond supportive. And she didn't use those methods. And I think kind of combining the two of them is where I'm at now. But I definitely, all the great things that my dad taught me, I have implemented into my life as, as an executive, as a manager, as an entrepreneur. Sounds like basketball was a real theme growing up. What did you learn from it? I think basketball taught me, one, this brotherhood of support to the idea that you can't win without a team and three play your role and play it well because you're part of a larger you know a larger thing it's not about you you know my name's on the door of my company all these different things but i stand on the shoulders of everyone else what do you do to build a team there get people that are smarter than you and things that you're not good at i'm really good at the things i'm good at i'm really bad at the things i'm not i heavily depend on other people to do their job well. I need my power forward. I need my center. I need I need my Allison Kay, who's been with me for a decade, who is brilliant at all the things that I am not. And I've been lucky enough to not be the smartest person in the room. So how do you drive the team? People have different skills. You're not using your dad's technique exactly. How do I motivate my team? Yeah. One, you've got to set the example. You set the example of drive and effort, and I think it starts from the top. you got to show people the passion and the drive and the work ethic. I think if it's 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning and something isn't done, no one's going to stay and get it done unless they care about you. So let's go back to the beginning, to college. You go to Emory, great school in Atlanta. You said you started a business in your freshman year. What kind of business? Um, I was helping young people receive identification. You can figure out what that means. <laughs> Were they good? Oh, they were good. Okay. They were very good. But I was a business person in how I did it, and that's a much longer story. And I turned it into a very profitable business very quickly. But my partner kind of broke my protocol, so I walked away from that cold turkey because I knew if he broke the protocol, we'd get caught. 
And I didn't want that to define me in my future. So I stopped doing that. And then I walked by a nightclub in Buckhead in Atlanta, Georgia. And I saw this club that was empty. And I said, hey, if I bring people here next week, would you pay me? And he was like, yeah, sure. How many people does it all? 800? I said, okay, I'll bring 800. He looked at me like I was crazy. Went to Kinko's, made flyers, called it Kryptonite Entertainment because I'm a Superman fan. Got all these freshman girls to help me and threw my first party and 800 people came. Very quickly, I learned the ropes from a, a local promoter who was an Ethiopian immigrant named Alex Gidawan, who started off as a parking lot attendant, then became a guy who passed out flyers, then became a promoter, and now is the biggest club owner in Atlanta. And he took a liking to me and taught me the ropes. Tuesday nights at Velvet Room, where I was the only white boy in the room, and he used to say with his stutter, la, 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 let the white boy in. And then I would take the money I made on Thursdays and spend it with Alex's club, kind of faking it till I make it. And I learned the ropes and became a very big party promoter out of Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, that's good. Is that why you left college? I left college because I was doing that, but then I started helping artists at my parties. Jermaine Dupree approached me after I had worked with this new up-and-coming artist who was Chris Love Love on the radio. His name was Ludacris. Jermaine asked me to come help him, and he made me first the executive director of marketing and then the VP of marketing at SoSoDef Records, and I was 20 years old. And Emory didn't offer night classes or internet classes, I still wanted to make it work, but I was now on academic probation because I was missing so many classes. And I got brought into a counselor's office and I told him, no, no, there's no drug problem. There's no nothing like I'm on academic probation because I'm working hard. And he told me the story of Robert Woodruff, the founder of Coca-Cola, who had the largest endowment at Emory and what a great entrepreneur he was. And I'm thinking, this guy gets me. All of a sudden he turns to me and he says, and the chance of you being Robert Woodruff is one in a billion. So we need to turn this around. And you need to focus on academics. And like I said, I don't deal well with disrespect. So I looked at him and I said, oh, I 100% know what I need to do. He goes, we're going to turn around. I said, yes, I'm withdrawing. And I dropped out of school and never looked back. This was the end of your junior year? Midway through my sophomore year. I'm glad to say that I've actually started working with a lot of young entrepreneurs at Emory now. And the new leadership at Emory, the deans there now, they're supportive of these young people and their entrepreneurial dreams. I probably wouldn't have dropped out if they existed back then. And you stayed in Atlanta for how long? Till I was 30 years old. I've stayed there from when I was 18 till I was 30. I built the entire business in Atlanta. Atlanta was the place where a young entrepreneur could, you know, pay cheap rent and build something significant. I had incredible mentors and support there from guys like Shaka Zulu, who was Ludacris's manager, to this guy Shakir Stewart, passed away, who was one of the first people who believed in me. Then Steve Rifkin came to my life and I signed Asher Roth. I ended up staying there till I realized there was one year where two weeks out of the year, I slept in my own bed. And I always, on breaks, would find myself in LA and New York and knew I needed to make a change. And I decided to move to LA. I still own my apartment in Atlanta. Is it available in Airbnb? It is not. <laughs> it is the apartment that I discovered Justin Bieber, funny enough. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you're in Atlanta, you're working for a company, and then you go out on your own. What happened there? I'm working for Jermaine. I decided to stop doing parties cold turkey because I wanted to stop being labeled a promoter when I was this young VP and everyone still said, oh, he's a big promoter. I don't like labels. I think that's what kind of encourages me to jump from one thing to the next. I, I don't like being listed as anything. Entrepreneur is all I really want, or a dad. That would work for me too. I would like to say that I had the courage, like a Jimmy Iovine, when he could just walk away and start something new, but I didn't have that courage. I had the idea. I knew it's what I wanted to do. But I was still scared. I was scared of being this young VP and having the credibility of Jermaine. And what am I without it? And sometimes the universe has an incredible way of fixing things for you when you don't have the courage. 
And one day something happened at the office and I was let go. Not by Jermaine, by his mom. Um, Jermaine, I went to go see him. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm one of the, you know, the winners here. And he said, I'll just give it two more weeks and I'll figure it out. And I realized this isn't where I want to have a career the rest of my life. This is actually what I wanted. I was just too scared. I drove to this Kroger parking lot near my apartment. And I remember sitting on the hood of my car being like, what the hell am I going to do now? My brother was backpacking, you know, roughing it around South America. And I'd been reading his blog journal entries, $15 bus rides and $5 hostels. And I bought a one-way ticket to Chile, bought a backpack, filled it up, and I left for a month. And I always thought backpacking was a thing like rich kids did to escape their lives. And I realized when I was down there, these aren't rich kids. And these people are actually living adventures every single day. They wake up and they're going to do something new. They're not just going back to the same old thing. It not only re-energized me, but it restored my faith in humanity because I was dealing with a cash business in Atlanta, Georgia, when Atlanta, Georgia was dangerous. I just didn't trust people at that point. I was looking for a snake everywhere I went. Now I'm in this hostel and my brother's like, yeah, put your bag over there. I'm like, where do we lock things up? And he's like, oh, you just have to trust people. I'm like, we don't know these people. And he goes, you got to believe. By the way, I wouldn't encourage people to live like that. I, don't, I lock my doors. But it did make me realize the better way to live is to live thinking something good is going to happen than assuming something bad is going to happen. And when I came back, I chose to make that decision on how I wanted to live. Started my own company, did a big deal for Ludacris. So I had a calling card in marketing. And I said, I'm going to sign acts that no one wants. And I'm going to prove my thesis with social media. And you found Justin Bieber. First, Asher Roth on MySpace. Right. And then Justin Bieber on YouTube. Your thesis was social media. No one knew about it. You knew about it. They were too old, too out of touch. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here with MySpace, you know, seeing people use music. And then with YouTube, I'm like, this is touching people all around the world. These views are getting bigger and bigger. I can see the analytics on where it's happening in different countries. And every time I bring it up to someone, they're like, oh, YouTube stars don't become real stars. And I'm like, well, look at the views. And now it's, you know, commonplace. A and R's are like, what are your YouTube views? And but when I did this, people thought I was crazy. I mean, I went to every label and every label was saying no to me. They were like, Scooter, you're great at marketing, but like it's a YouTube kid. And I'm like, you guys are not understanding. There's a sleeping giant over here. You're not paying attention. I had one of the most impressive executives in music history tell me, Where's the sex appeal? He's a young kid. I don't get it. There's no sex appeal. And then I said, Well, you need to look at YouTube and this person who's running a major, major label group, they said, well, can you get us a DVD? And I said, just all I got to do is type it in and look at the YouTube numbers. And they said, well, he doesn't use the internet. I said, how do you not use the internet if you're running a major label group with the future of where music is going? And I realized there's a big opportunity here. I was able to team up with Usher and I wanted a label deal for us. And Usher's like, I'll help you get this deal. It took six months to get the deal done because no one believed get the deal done, and then they don't open a budget for me. And I had to go to Tricky Stewart and Dream, who I was friends with, and get them to produce Justin's record with me for free. I made the first eight songs for free on spec out of my relationships because I couldn't get a budget open from the major label. There was someone at the label who I was excited to work with who went to L.A. and said, don't make me work with the internet kid. <laughs> and... That's always how it works. It's the things that no one pays attention to. So when you played the songs, did they say, wow, this is great? No, they didn't get it. They were like, oh, this is, this is better than we thought. But like, what are we going to do with this kid? It's a longer story of how it happened. In our movie, we definitely made it look like, you know, boom, boom, boom. 
But it's just great things don't happen that way. Great things like Ariana Grande. She was on Nickelodeon. Why is she not have a record deal with Nickelodeon? Because they said, yes, you can leave. You know, you're not a recording artist. People all the time pass over on the great things. If everybody is paying attention and wants it, I usually shy away. Do you think that people pigeonhole people and miss opportunities because they can't see anybody any broader than what they initially thought somebody was? Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy when I see people say, I saw that three years ago. Things evolve. If you saw it three years ago and they actually took your advice, they should come back better than they were before. But if you're not taking the time to look at something because you've already created a narrative in your head, you're missing out on opportunity. And by the way, there are going to be things in my career that I've missed out on. I always leave a meeting saying the same thing. If you leave here and you prove me wrong in the years to come, good on you. I'm rooting for you. I've got a few more questions for Scooter from why you decided to cold call David Geffen, how you think about your investments. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear navigating the changes in relationships and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never seen before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I 
detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is that, is that my baggage? It look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Math & Magic. We're sitting here today with the genius of marketing, Scooter Braun. You're now Scooter Braun. You're not the internet kid anymore. still feel like that kid. But when you go in now, do people still say, I saw that three years ago, or do they trust you probably see something they don't see? No, now they trust. <laughs> but I also, can I be honest with you? I probably was better then. I'm 37, about to turn 38 years old in June. This is a youth-driven business. I now want the young kids... I want those kids telling me what's next because I'd be naive if I could tell you I'm as good of an A&R as I was at 27 or 25 or 22. That's BS. So now that I have the power and the trust, I need to share that with young people who are telling me what's next because I cannot be as good as I used to be. It's just not how it works. You're one of the first people I've heard talk about that. When we started MTV, we were all in our 20s, and we used to say no one over the age of 30 has any good ideas. So let's keep hiring that 21, 22-year-old and populate the channel with it. And by the way, for many, many years, they did that. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the creative process. You know, you're talking about finding stuff, not being caught in stereotypes, not letting past narratives cloud your view of the future. How do you think the creative process works and, you know, at the heart of it, sort of what do you think creativity is and how do you spot it? It's a very interesting, hard question to answer. When it comes to music, the artists I work with usually have extraordinary ears because they're artists. What they hear is not what the general public is going to hear. That's why most artists aren't great A&Rs of their own projects. And they you know, need help deciding what the hit is. Most artists don't even like their hits. My job is to be the person with the ordinary ears in the room. If I like it, millions of other people should like it because there's nothing extraordinary about me. My job is to help them understand what the consumer would gravitate towards and find that middle ground where we're still pushing the needle and not following the consumer. How big a fight is that? I think it's not a fight if you show each other mutual respect and you actually earn respect over time. If you're just yelling at someone and saying, you need to listen to me, I don't think that's a good way to do anything. You have to start from a place of respect and meet in the middle. It's definitely been an interesting dynamic over the years getting to some of these hits. Sometimes they just walk into the door and they got it. Sometimes it's a narrative and a dance. And sometimes I'm wrong, sometimes they're wrong, but we create a rapport and we act like family towards each other and we get results. The one common thing when you talk about creativity and the process, I don't think there's a substitute for passion. That's the one thing I think is consistent, whether it be an entrepreneur you're betting on or an artist you're betting on, 
there's a lot of talented people in the world in all walks of life. I don't believe talent is enough. Sometimes it's enough to get you a moment, but I don't think it's enough to ever make you sustain. There's too many talented people in the world. There's moments where Ariana, this album she made, it happened quickly. It was magic. She just kept writing. All the passion came out. Boom. There are times where artists need you know, purpose with Justin. It was a year writing, 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 then finally discovering the path. But the passion was there in both respects. So, you know, talking about this broad view of creativity and business sounds an awful lot like your mentor, David Geffen. Extraordinary investor, extraordinary talent manager, record company executive. He's had a good run, that guy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Real estate name. What have you learned from David or did you find you were just sort of in sync with David? It's not what I learned. It's what I continue to learn. And my biggest pinch me moment in my life is probably that you even can say that that person's my mentor. I read about David when I was 19 years old. He was the inspiration for me to go towards this career path. I remember sitting in my dorm room freshman year, reading about David going after John Lennon's solo career and yelling out loud, go to Yoko Ono. And then turning the page and seeing David was the one person who went to Yoko Ono and having this revelation that I think like this, I can do this. And David saying, movies take years, TV takes years, finance could take years, a song can change your life in a night. When I was 30, Jimmy Iovine introduced us quickly at a restaurant. And then I decided about a month later to pick up the phone and cold call his office to say thank you to him for the inspiration. And he was kind of appreciative, but very like, I got to go on to my next thing. And I was like, oh, he's never going to speak to me again. And when I got to the office the next day, his assistant had called and said, David wants to have lunch with you next week. It's on your schedule. And that first lunch was three hours. We've been having lunch and dinner ever since for the last seven years. And when that man loves you, he loves you. We have never done business together. We have no intention of doing business together. But he is passionate about giving me real advice. He's passionate about making me in his mind, better than he was as a person. All I wanted my whole life from that point in 19 years old was to have the advice of someone like David Geffen, and now I have it. And it's a really great thing when someone lives up to your expectation of them, and he has for me. It's interesting with David. He's, I think, reached out to a lot of people and has mentored them, mm-hmm. did for me in a period of my career when I really needed it, and wants nothing in return. Nothing. Do you do that with others? Yes. No one's going to say when they die, guess what deal I did? You know, they're going to look back on the deep conversations, the moments with their family, their moments with their friends. What did I do? And then you're gone. What's the point of not lifting someone up? That's the greatest thing you can do for your legacy. You know, when you're gone, you want someone to speak highly of you and say they helped me and they asked for nothing in return. In addition to mentoring people, you've also helped a lot of people. You chair the advisory board of Pencils for Promise. You are on the board of Fuck Cancer organization started by your wife. Make-A-Wish, I think your organizations fulfill more wishes than anyone else. You raised about $70 million for Hurricane Harvey relief, $20 million for One Love Manchester. What drives you and how do you think about that in relation to the rest of your life? I just think it's so crazy what's happened in my life that the idea that you don't share and give back is absurd. What is the point of continually pouring water into one glass, it's going to overflow and just make a mess. You have to pour the water into other glasses before you make the mess. The most gratifying parts of my professional career have been concerts helping others. I wish those tragedies didn't happen, 
but it was incredibly gratifying for myself, my team, and the artists that I work with to be a part of the Children's March, to be a part of One Love Manchester, to be a part of the Hurricane Relief. There's 50% that you should do publicly, and then there's 50% you should do privately. Because the 50% you do publicly, you're going to get criticized. People say you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Who cares what they say? They're haters. That's their own bullshit. But you need to do 50% publicly to inspire others to do the same. I know what I come from, and I know that the person in need was just a generation ago for my family. My grandparents were Holocaust concentration camp survivors. My mom grew up with very little. I want to set that example for my kids, make sure they understand that that's a legacy they have to keep going forward. So let's move on to the future. What's the future of the music business as we know it, the record companies, managers, publishers? Look, I think the great part of uh, the music business in general is that there's never a supply and demand issue. People are always going to want music. The question is, how do you monetize it and how is it distributed? I think things are on the rise because there have been gigantic populations outside of this country, India, China, that have never been monetized before. Southeast Asia, never been monetized before. Huge populations that love music. I've toured there. They love music. And the monetization through streaming is coming for those areas. So I think we're about to see a very, very big growth for the music business. I think whoever is closest to the artist will always play an important role. Some managers will play an important role. But I think value is going to be an ownership of assets. As I move forward, I want to continue doing the service business because I enjoy it. I love the artists that I work with. I love being a part of their journey. I went to Ariana's opening night last night. And knowing the hard work that she put in and how remarkable the show is, I get joy out of seeing her happiness and the happiness of her fans. But she and I have to go now build assets for her, something that's sustainable so she doesn't have to walk on stage every single night. And she can take a break and start a family someday if she wanted. So Uber, Spotify, Pinterest, you were an early investor in all yep, of those. And then Lyft. And Lyft. And so we look at those businesses. Are those businesses that you think are fully priced or do you think they have so much growth ahead of them that people are I missing the point? I really don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I know these are great businesses. I know that the opportunity for growth is there, that the value in the future is there. You talk about a Grab or an Uber or a Lyft, which are all ride-sharing services and payment services. The amount of the population that is actually using them is still very, very low. So the opportunity for how big they can become, could they become trillion-dollar business? You, you really don't know, but they're great, great businesses. And I was lucky enough to be around them early enough. So you've had as good a nose for investments as you've had for music. I don't know, maybe. So, okay, let's say you have. I think both of them I got lucky. I think you've made your luck, but let's move into, what do you look at in the business? Passion. So you look at person, not the idea? I would like to look at the idea and understand it. But if you meet someone who has a burn the ships mentality, and what do I mean by burn the ships? You and I have talked about this before. It's you arrive on the shores of your enemy, the general say the only way you go home to your families is if you take the ships of your enemies. There is no retreat. Burn the ships. When you meet an entrepreneur who has a burn the ships mentality, it doesn't matter what they're starting. They will pivot and move until they figure it out. And that's what you want to see. When someone says, I'm a serial entrepreneur, run for the hills. All that means is they start a lot of businesses. When I met Travis from Uber, burn the ships. Funny enough, his competitor, John Zimmer, burn the ships. Anthony from Grab, burn the ships. These people are relentless. They will not give up. They will not be silenced. Like They are going to figure it out. Do you see the same thing in artists? 100%. Producers? 100%. That's what I'm talking about, passion in all, in all aspects. Ariana, you know, she's gone through a lot of stuff the last couple of years. 
but I know she is so much stronger than even she realizes. I've seen it. She has had really hard, hard times and dark moments, but she always prevails because she is not a quitter. Justin is not a quitter. You know, before Purpose, we had so many people talking shit, but he is not a quitter. And I think when you see people with that kind of passion, when you see the people with that kind of drive, get on board and hold on tight. So we go back to the future. How about social? Social media has changed my life. It has helped me build my career. But I also see how people who made social media are not allowing their children to participate. There's something to be said for that. It isn't evil. It is a very good thing that something bad can happen in a country across the world and we can care because of social media. That is an incredible thing that's happening. But it isn't good when the person right next to you is struggling you can't see it. Everything has to become kind of a balance. We have to start with our own relationships. Stop trying to scale it to how do we change lives for millions of people. Start with five people. Start with your core people around you that you love and start asking them, are you okay? Let's shut off our phones. Let's go for a drink. Let's go for an activity, a coffee. Just engage with people in a one-on-one and your life will be better and so will theirs. Do you shut yours off? Yeah, there are times I definitely shut off. I'm getting better about it. I still need to work on it. Forecast. You've been around radio. You've been a great partner of ours at iHeart for ever and ever. What do you think of the future of audio? And I'm really talking radio, streaming music services, podcast. Look, trends are trends. People like audio. You know, Spotify's announced they're going to spend half a billion dollars on podcasts this year alone. Asia, podcasts are huge. People still enjoy a conversation. They like driving somewhere and being able to listen to something. They're thirsty for conversation. They're thirsty for knowledge. So I think the future of audio is bright. You've hit all of the stuff that you dreamed of. Did you ever dream you'd be here? Yes and no. I dreamed of what would that be like, but I didn't think when I realized how hard it was to make five grand, I was like, that doesn't seem feasible. And now I realize it's not monetary things that have anything to do with what I think about as success. My holding company is called Ithaca. And someone asked me, like, did you go to Cornell? Did you go to Ithaca? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Ithaca is based on a Greek poem by Kafafi called Ithaca. David Geffen showed me this poem. And it basically says you're journeying to the island of Ithaca, one of the Greek islands. And along your journey, you'll only see monsters like Lithogonia and Cyclops if you let them into your heart. Only have negativity if you let it in. And along the way, you'll meet great philosophers and you'll see amazing things. And if you reach Ithaca and you find her poor, she did not fool you because it was always about the journey. And I think that's life. I'm on a journey. There's going to be ups and downs. No matter how much success I get, I will have nights that I still, still cry myself to sleep because I'm scared of what tomorrow brings. And it's an up and down journey. There's days you're happy and there's days you're sad. And that's just what life is. And you continue the journey. You have fun. I try to do right by others because it doesn't make sense to me why this happened to me, but I'm grateful for it. And I don't believe the blessings continue unless I give blessings. So I got to keep pouring into other glasses. So mine doesn't make a mess. We've talked about this incredible success you've had. Tell me about the failures along the way. There's nothing that's really a failure unless you did something malicious and shameful. Otherwise you should have no regrets. They're teaching moments. I can put on this perfect picture of success and confidence and everything else. It's just not realistic. It's not real. I still question things all the time. I question myself. I question my own motives. I question my need to sometimes tell people about my success. 
because of how insecure I am in the moment that I want them to know what I've done because I might not be enough because I always thought vulnerability was a bad thing. I didn't understand it was a strength. And there were a few people along the way that taught me that. One of the people who did that for me, who didn't know they did it, was a guy who I admired from a distance, didn't have a relationship. And one day I got an email and the person said, I want to come see you. And they came over to my house and I just thought, oh, they're coming to see me and they're going to come talk business and what can we do together and everything else. And this person didn't talk any business. This person talked to me about their life. They asked me questions about my life and they said, I just wanted to get to know you. And I walked away realizing how much respect I had for that person, how much I appreciated them taking the time and how I need to do more of that in my life. And the person's name was Bob Pittman. Came to my house, sat with me, didn't ask me for any business. And you took time to get to know me and took hours out of your day for no reason whatsoever with no agenda to say, I've admired you from a distance and I want you to know who I am and I want to know you. And you've never asked for anything in return. And it was an important lesson in my life of how to treat people. So thank you. Well, you're very nice. Thank you. So let's end with, and this podcast, it's math and magic, excluding you. Who's the greatest mathematician you know? That analytical type who just blows your mind. I really admire Howard Marks from Oak Street Capital. I think he's a really, really brilliant guy, but he also looks at it at all the right ways and all the right angles, and I, I, I admire him. So greatest magician? David Geff. <laughs> His analytical skills are pretty good, too. Incredible. Yeah. Thanks, Scooter, for giving us the time today. Appreciate it. Great lessons from somebody who's done it the right way. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math and Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Campbell. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.